Hi, my name's Don Hughes. Hi, I'm Kylie. Hi, I'm Mary Michonne, and you're listening. And you're listening to your Midwest Garden Podcast. Everybody, welcome back to your Midwest Garden Podcast. Who's everybody? Everybody except you. Okay. <laughs> we, we welcome back. Everybody that's listening to this, and that's a bunch of people, believe it or not. We got a, quite a few people following us. Three. Well, <laughs> now four. We got Amanda with us, but that we'll introduce <laughs> later. Anyway. For this episode, we are here once again at Bensell's Greenhouse to talk with Mary Michonne and our guest, a local gardener, Amanda about returning your house plants back inside after they've vacationed outside all summer long. They've enjoyed the sun and soft rainwater, but it's getting cooler, so time to bring them inside. Hopefully you get to hear this episode before you brought your plants in as it's cooling down fast, so we gotta get this episode out there quickly. We're gonna put Amanda on the spot and see how well her process of returning her houseplants inside stands up with Mary's advice. But first, the last episode was talking about the rain barrels. Yes. With Jesse. And mine was going off like crazy yesterday, and it wasn't raining at all. It's got to be groundwater. But when it was raining, you could smell the rain. The ionization. Ionization. Ooh, you did learn something. Yeah. I mean, it was awesome to be able to. I mean, to put together her story and what I was doing and what, how good it is for your plants. Well, just to, to, to kind of parlay on that, there was a friend, is a friend, he's still with us, but he's in Petersburg, Michigan. He's got these 400-gallon, um, not rain barrels, but barrels he's been using for, for rainwater. He had 600 gallons just in yesterday's rainfall alone. 600 gallons. Do you go through that in a year at home? Well, it doesn't take much to fill those barrels. That's right. That's what, what we would discovered. What would you say? One average rainfall in this area would fill 11 barrels? 11 barrels. 11 right. barrels. 55 55-gallon barrels. All right. All right. Do you have any housekeeping? Now, if you want to go and, and, and let's say, change your lawn situation, or if you want to go ahead and fill in some bare spots here and there, do it now. you got a window of maybe about... I want to say six weeks of good germination yet, and you have something ready for next year. But on the podcast that we had, we had a lawn service manager that told us the proper way of doing it. You want to skip that? Go ahead. If you want to go and listen to it, go ahead also. But I'm going to tell you, if you're going to do any type of grass seeding or lawn seeding, you got a six-week-plus window to benefit from it this year yet. But even if you don't, I mean, go all the way into November, December, January, if it doesn't have any snow on it. The old timers used to call it dormant seating, and I want you to prove me wrong. Oh, um, yeah, we've talked about yeah, this. I want you to go and throw it down. You get an inch and a half of snow, you watch the weather report, go out there and throw it down. The snow will seat it into the soil, and next year you'll have grass germinating for it. And it's like we'll be a glacier free. pushing the seed into the soil. A glacier? Yeah. Scott. Have you been doing any mushrooms lately? No, but we're going to be talking mushrooms pretty soon again with Mike. Okay. All right. Well, then now. All about the magic mind. Remember my magic, the magic mind drink? magic mind or the magic mushrooms? My magic mind drink. Okay. Still going strong. You're still doing it. Yes. Okay. Anyway, today's show. Is? 
Well, we we our last article that we wrote for the local paper that was the uh, Sylvania what Advantage newspaper, and they wanted us to talk about winterization because we're hit, and we have a in person uh, well, presentation of coming up. Winterization of what? Your uh, your beds. Your beds, Plant and putting beds, things away for sleeping. Beds. Yeah. What about the ones on the patio? Well, that's what we're going to kind of get to today. Okay. You're, well, I'll let you're you... stealing my thunder again. No, 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 no. You can let it trickle if you want. We'll get a you know downpour in a few minutes anyway. So we talked with Mary from Bensell's Greenhouse. Mary She's the owner. Yeah. Look, a couple episodes we did. One went long, so we cut it into two, and that was awesome. Yeah. Well, that's why we asked her if we could, you know, pick yeah. her brain. So we need to go with winterizing your your house plants that you took outside for summer and bringing them in. So, All right. So I figured instead of just stating facts, and uh, we have a guest with us named Amanda. Amanda is a house plant geek. Oh God! I'm is that say, nice to say? Yes, it's it very is. nice Nowadays to say. It is. All right. Um, and so we were talking about this, and she was asking questions. So I said, "Why don't we get you two together, and you can tell us how you put stuff to bed." And Mary can comment on it and saying, hey, maybe a pointer here, pointer there, or, you know, who knows? All maybe right. she has a great idea. Well, why don't you start out by initially introducing Amanda and Mary Michonne? And the reason is, is because I'd like to start out by saying we'd always say just use a systemic insecticide, bring them in, and then go from there. But it's far more important that you follow what these two ladies are going to be telling us, correct? Yes. Okay. So we're going to turn the show over to Amanda right now. Welcome, Amanda. Thank you. Tell us what you have at home and what you're planning to bring inside, but more importantly, how you're going to prep those. Well, that is quite the list. Um, I have quite a variety of different houseplants, cactuses, and tropicals. My most important ones that I pay the most attention to are going to be my tropicals and my pothos. Um, they tend to be a little bit more picky. They like to keep a certain type of light and a certain type of heat and humidity. Um, so I usually start prepping those a little sooner. Um, I do like to prep them for the light changes as well because outside gives them different lighting than they're going to get inside the house. Um, and it's different heating to being out in the sun and being in the home where you have a furnace running. Um, the next thing I like to do is take a look, make sure I have no pests. I usually have a Dawn dish soap and water solution or an alcohol spray that I will take and spray down my plants with to make sure I'm not bringing in any pests that may be on the leaves or on the vines. Um, I usually like to switch out my soils too because you never know what got into that soil, what burrowed down, what laid eggs. I'm going to change that soil out. I like to wash my roots and unball that root ball because some of them do not like to be root bound. Um, the ones that do like to be root bound, leave those be because you'll make them get a little dramatic if you unfold that. Um, once I get them in the new soil, in the new pot, I go ahead and bring them right on in. Um, as soon as they're acclimated to the light, they'll be a little less dramatic, a little less droopy, and a lot more pretty. Mary. So now I can go home. <laughs> wow. No. <laughs> I mean, I mean, pulling, pulling them out, washing your roots, that, yeah. I mean, that's, that's some serious transition. That that is like a dedicated well, person. Let me, let me. Can I ask? How did you get into this? The 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 the, the tropicals and the pathos. Pathos. Pacos. <laughs> well, but whatever. How did you get into this? Um, I just really needed a change. I needed something to focus on that would kind of calm me down a little bit with my anxiety and whatnot. Um, so plants kind of gave me that grounding space and brought me back down. Um, went to. Black Diamond, saw some um, hydrangeas, 
and some Andevils that I wanted. And I actually started out with those. And it's grown since then. I now have quite the indoor and outdoor selection of plants. My favorite now is going to be the Mandeville and my hydrangeas. Um, the pothos I like to keep in the wintertime because they need a little bit more attention. So it just keeps me grounded all year round. But now that she knows where Mary's shop is, yeah, watch <laughs> she's going to have uh, another hangout. To Mary, visit. you said something about now that we're through here. Um, yeah. <laughs> what, what did she not? Well, everything was everything is pretty spot on. Whatever you're doing, Amanda, is pretty spot on. I've never really gone to the extreme of washing my roots off. Um, but I do at this time of the year is when I usually trim the roots, cut the roots back, give them fresh soil before I bring them in because, you know, they're not actively growing in the wintertime because our light is different here in the Midwest. We're slowly, right now, it's almost dark by 8.30, 8 o'clock. Yeah, 8.30. So we're starting to lose our time. And, you know, your leaves aren't, your plants aren't actively growing now. So you really want a nice root growth. But if they're pot-bound... Okay, most of your plants, if they're this summer especially, they loved the outdoors. We had a lot of nice rain and in heat. So they're, they could be pot-bound. What happens when you bring a plant in in the wintertime and it's pot-bound, you know, your watering changes. It's not the same. Yeah. And so you need fresh soil in the pot-bound plant, especially a lot of your tropicals. And, you know, we can go on tangents left and right all over the place because certain plants like to be pot-bound and you don't want to trim their roots and certain plants need fresh soil. But let's just talk about the majority. And the majority of your plants need to have their roots trimmed periodically. And I always ask everybody when they come in, oh, it's just suddenly died. Well, when was the last time you trimmed the roots? When was the last time you looked in the pot? And uh, never. And so you're going to have some issues. And well, see, so, people are afraid, basically, to take it out of the pot and go ahead and trim those. Right. And I think I, when we did the houseplant podcast before, I think yeah. I and I always tell this to people, it kind of helps them remember, it's like giving your, giving your plant a haircut. You do a haircut in the pot and you do a haircut above the pot. And so trimming your roots... I mean, we trim the roots constantly. Think about when you're digging a plant up out from outside, a, a perennial or something. You, sa you sacrifice roots on there. Does it make the plant die? No, they grow back new ones. And we're not aggressively going to go in and rip these plants apart, but we are going to take a nice clean scissors and trim the roots or a saw if we need to and trim the roots, give them a nice, good quality soil. There are some of them out there that are really bad, so be careful. If you're spending 99 cents on a bag of soil, it's not good enough. Yes. Okay, so think about that. Um, and you want your houseplants to last year after year. Poor quality soil can be safe for the summers. Outside, put them in pots, mix them in with some other things. But bringing your plants inside, spend a little extra money on a good quality soil. Do tropical plants, Amanda, Mary, go dormant? They don't actively grow. No, I don't think they go dormant per se, when you bring like them a perennial. In. But yeah. when they go inside because of the lighting, they're not actively growing. They're not always shooting out new roots unless you put supplemental light on. Mm -hmm. So that's a whole new trend. And I, I'm just going to say, if you're putting supplemental light on your plants, that's actually a good thing for many of them. Because here in the, our greenhouse over the winter, when you walk through, everybody goes, oh, some of these plants look like they're dying. Yeah. They're not dying. They're just shut down. They're not actively growing. They only have five leaves. You get them into your house. It's cold here in the greenhouse. We have a lot of shift in temperatures by day and night. I don't keep it a balmy 80 in the greenhouse, or I, I wouldn't be here. I couldn't afford it. So in essence, it's kind of like the maple or the oak trees that randomly drop a leaf here and there. They just don't need that leaf in there to process food. I mean, the days are short. 
shorter. The days are shorter. Of course, they need some leaves. And so you're not going to, that's why you're toning back your fertilizers in the mm. wintertime. You're not fertilizing as often because there's not as much growth going on. So everything that Amanda said so far to me sounds really, really good. And, and, and I think there's a lot of people out there that do like to wash their root systems out because gnats can be a real problem. Um, you know, and again, poor quality soil. You often have gnats in the soil when you bring it in the house and it's going to explode. So well, she made a comment about alcohol too. Yeah. And how, how are you not going to burn these things? I mean, what gave, Amanda, what gave you the, the right to go out there and go, I'm going to hose you down <laughs> with alcohol. I mean, and without burning them, how'd you figure that out? Um, some of that for me at least was trial and error. And I'm not going to lie. I did kill quite a few plants in the beginning. That's another point. Um, <laughs> but... When it comes to killing off the pests and stuff that are in there, some of it just takes a little bit of research. Um, some of it's trial and error research. Some of it you just need to look it up or ask someone who knows about them to know, is that alcohol going to burn that specific plant species? Well, or is it just going to kill then, off the, the well, that's where Mary, Let me give you an aside yeah. on this because I literally had somebody in here on Saturday that was using vinegar to wash their Ouch. plants. So it's going to burn and kill everything. I mean, and people, there's recipes out there for using vinegar with salt to kill weeds. It doesn't, it burns the leaves. It doesn't kill the root. Don't use vinegar on your plants. Um, you know, and then I'm like, where did you get that information? Oh, I Googled it. Well, know your sources, okay? If you're yes. Googling it, it, don't go to Pinterest. Don't go to Etsy. These are people who are selling plants. Those aren't I go to a University of Michigan, go to Ohio State's, go to North Carolina's website, ag schools, schools that have good ag departments. They'll tell you what to do with your plants. Iowa State. Just Ohio, yeah, yeah, uh, Ohio yes. State and Iowa, Iowa State. State is a great plant place. Yes, there's lots of them. I did a master's at Kansas State. They're a huge ag school. Wow. Lots of great information. So know your sources. And so people are doing all sorts of weird things with um, things you find in your kitchen, you know. But I often recommend rubbing alcohol and dish soap. Do you dilute soap. it? Okay. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Diluted with warm, almost hot water. Um, I tell people, lay your plants. If they're big, tall plants, lay them down on the ground and just roll the plant as you throw hot water on there. And then I usually tell people, and I think I have a video um, on my Ben Sells site. Is it all right if yeah, I say that? Yeah, um, so on Ben Sells Greenhouse has a YouTube channel, and I have a video from last year that I showed everybody how to trim your roots, how to wash your plants off. And usually you start at the base of the soil in the pot, and you take a hot, soapy rag with water, and you can put rubbing alcohol. Rubbing alcohol will literally dry up your scale and your mealy. Doesn't, it, it would hurt a spider mite and, a, and a, a white fly. It would do that instantly. But your scale bugs and your mealy are tough. And any water flows right off their backs. Um, Mealybug, as an adult, has a waxy coating on the yeah, top of it. Explain what they look like, really. They're, to me, they look like little crustaceans. They're okay. little white, flat things with lots of little legs and tentacles. Are they furry looking? They're kind of furry looking. Yeah. They're cotton, cottony egg sacs. So if okay. you see cotton in the nooks and crannies under the underside of your leaves, and that's why I say lay your plant down. Because if you just mist over the top of your plant, your bugs are underneath the leaves. They are in the nooks and crannies and the nodes of the leaves. Right. They are underneath that. And so I say instead of just misting or spraying your plant down, you literally need to take a couple wads of paper towel or rags, dip them into the hot soapy water, and start at the 
trunk of your plant. That's if it's like a tree-like stem. And you can do this with certain plants, but some of your fragile ones, you're not going to get in there and manhandle them. But you can toss hot, soapy alcohol water over the when top of them. you say hot, I mean, how... how- how, I mean, I don't. I, mean, I can't not, imagine not scald, picking up not, a hot. Yeah, not. I mean, war, hot to the warm, warm. But I don't even know. I don't tepid know. or lukewarm or a little no, warmer than lukewarm. And it doesn't do any damage to the plant. Depends upon the plant. See, there's mm-hmm. so many little okay. idiosyncrasies about this. So some of your, like, I wouldn't put rubbing alcohol on an African violet. Okay, it's a furry leafed plant. Sure. I wouldn't do that. You know, but you have to know your plants and. You know, the majority of them that are waxy coated leaves, they're not furry. Um, what else wouldn't, what would be an example of not to? Amanda, do you have trying something to think like of philodendron something. that you use outside? I or? might even be cautious even with my calatheas. I think calatheas are, everybody says they're so, they're, they're easy and tough. I don't think they're what tough at all. What does a calathea go by nickname? It's, uh, is it just strictly no, Nothing, calathea? everybody knows calatheas. Yeah. People I'm will know calatheas. They're, they're, they're well, very we got ourselves a trailing Jew when I thought it was a wandering Jew at one time, yeah, they, but um, they found home. Yeah. All right. But I, it just depends. It depends upon the leaf. And I think a lot of your listeners are smart enough. They're gardeners. You know, um, you know, be cautious if you're afraid to use rubbing alcohol and soapy water on your plant. Then I say just take a nice warm, wet rag and rub your plant down. A lot of friction, a lot of hand movement. You can take a piece of uh, old washcloth, one in one hand, one in the other. And you can start with your hand under the leaf and one hand on top of the leaf and just a little pressure. Now your mites die, your white flies die. You you remove eggs that might be clinging to the underside of the leaves. And it might be time consuming, but think about the amount of time you would have to spend to manage bugs once they're in your house. And especially yeah. like Amanda, who it sounds like she's got quite a few plants right now. And I have a few too. I don't take all um, of mine outside, but many of them. And I'm glad to hear that she actually started earlier because I already have started taking my plants and I really only have a few things left outside, even though we're approaching another week of 80s. Now this is the end of September. Though. Right. So I don't think about daytime temps at all when I'm doing my out my plants are outside I don't think about the daytime temps at all so I think about night temps. by the sunlight no, no I, I go by night temps. temps nighttime temps. temps so your tropicals like if you have alocasias if you have begonias if you've got um, birds of paradise um, what else is people have that's very trendy well, she just right? named yeah. Hibiscus, Mandevilla. yeah those all are very temperamental think about where this plant lives in nature okay we talked about M- that yep before, this is what right? i say emulate the life of the plant if it was in in it's the jungle in its natural habitat and that's for lighting that's for humidity that's for water think about a desert a a, a, a cactus They have a rainy period in the wintertime. That's their rainy period, and they often bloom in the springtime. So are we going to be watering our our cactuses in December and January every week for a rainy period? No, because we don't have the heat and sunlight to help that. But we do have to give them more water at certain times of the year. And the key to a cactus blooming is cold temperatures in the fall. That's why the Christmas cactus. Yeah. Yep. So darkness or cold. Yeah, yes. For two so weeks and then. I have some cactuses I and some succulents. They're still outside because they can handle 40s. They don't want low 40s, but they want some upper 40s. And sometimes your cactuses, 
they start blooming when you bring them in because you've given them a cold period. If you've never taken your plants outside, they're going to be in a consistent temperature, anywhere between 65 and 75 degrees in your house all the time. And if your heat's running and your air is always running, then your humidity never changes. So your plants are confused. They don't know what they should be doing. So that could be why they've never bloomed. That's why they've quit growing. They're not as active. And you've done nothing with them. Well, it's it's like people putting uh, grass seed in the freezer for 48 hours before they plant it. Because you're telling that seed that it's, you know, it's winter. Right. You're faking it. You're going dormant. Right. And, and now it's time to come up. And when they throw it down in the springtime. Mike and I were talking about the show on the phone just today. And he's like, well, when are you going to release this? And I said, well, I want it Next today. Week. No. <laughs> Please. <laughs> no, yeah. It's, yeah, it will be edited tonight. Yeah. And it will be on Wednesday. Because Wonderful. the temperatures are getting cooler at night mm-hmm. faster than they have had in the past few years, we've noticed. Yeah. Right. So yes. I said, the problem with a lot of these recent subjects is they come boom, 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 one, two, three, right next to each other and releasing a show once a week, it's hard to get everything timed out. But this one, we're going to pop out pretty quickly. This is important. I brought in about three weeks ago, I have a Ming Aurelia, if everyone knows what, it's a beautiful, beautiful plant. And mine is um, about six feet tall. It's a very narrow, it's just very narrow and tall. It's one of my favorite plants. And I brought it in about two and a half weeks ago, when we first started getting to 50, we had a couple nights of 50 degrees. That plant was in the house. It's all yellow right now, even though I brought it in early. So that's something else to consider because Amanda made a perfect point about the lighting when you bring your plant in the house. You usually have a 360 lighting when your plants are outside. When you bring them in the house now, you're you're near a window, so you don't have that circular lighting. Again, unless you have your... Supplemental light, your your grow lights on there. That's going to be different. But even that can't emulate sunlight the same way or rain the mm. same well, does, way. Now, I'm going to ask Amanda this. You went through the trial and error. You lost quite a few. You found a therapeutic. But when you said something like Mary said about the lighting, outside you get 360, indoors you don't. Did you find supplemental or you have windows that are totally filled throughout the house? Oh, Eastern, no. Southern, and Western. Oh, no, I definitely have supplemental lighting. I've got the grow lights that Mary just mentioned um, throughout my areas where I keep my house plants. Um, and actually down in my basement, I have a section that's all grow lights just so I can keep all of my tropicals in that one area so they all get that type of light that they need. Are they LED lighting? Um, they are LEDs, yes. Okay. They're the um, LED full spectrum. Okay, so do you rotate the plant rather than... Rotate the lighting. Do you, you know, basically pivot and rotate the plant so you do get that 360 degree like Mary had made mention of? Um, the way I have mine set up, I actually don't have to rotate the plants. Um, I have my lights hanging directly from the ceiling. So the entire area where my plants are are being hit by that full spectrum light at all times when they're on. And I have mine set up on a timer. That way, if I forget about it, I don't have to worry about my plants not getting light that day. They come on and off just like sun would go up and sun would come down. And mine actually, um, I got the more expensive ones that actually kind of simulate sun rising and sun falling. So they come up like dawn and they go down like dusk at night. So my oh, plants wow. are very spoiled. That wow. is cool. I didn't know they had those. Oh, yeah. I got to talk to you after this. Um, <laughs> usually it's eight hours of, of sunlight. Are you going on a 12-hour spectrum or are you going eight hours or are you giving it, you know, like a spring, summer, fall 
routine. Spring, you've got maybe eight. You're going to have close to 16 in the middle of the summertime or 12, but then and 16 off. Or are you going to... Are I you mean, emulating the seasons is what you're it, going for? Yeah. Is that what you're doing? Not quite yet. I'm not quite that far into it yet. Um, right now, I just have them set to start their dawn period at 7 o'clock, and then at 8 o'clock, they start their and dusk they don't period. And they don't show any signs of any duress or anything from it? Nope. Mary, do you, I mean, you, you use the word trend. Um, you said that the light lighting is trending. It's not a fad anymore. No, the, the grow lights. Yeah, that's huge. Everybody is finding that, you know, some of the plants that we're getting now, some of the plants that you're seeing in all these greenhouses and garden centers are a little more temperamental. Yeah. So they need a little more help. And I don't have any grow lights at my house. I no, just don't have No, you got a greenhouse. Any, well, that... I don't even have fancy. I don't really have any really thing, anything fancy at my house, really. My Ming, I think, is going to be the most probably the most tedious of all my plans. Well, then I'll ask you what I asked her. Do you, I mean, if you don't have the lighting, do you strategically place mm -hmm. them at certain windows? Yep. yep. Well, now for somebody that's not, that, that's interested in doing mm -hmm. this, and Amanda said it was therapeutic, where do you start? Well, what I usually do, because this is, this is different too, because, you know, in Toledo, Ohio, in the Midwest, and I don't know about any other cities, but we usually have cloudy days until it really starts getting bitter cold, and that's not until January and February. So we pretty much have, really have dismal lighting right. in this area until January, until when it really gets cold and the cloud cover lifts, then it gets the temperatures drop. So in your house, when it's dark at five and you've got a, cl a very cloudy day, a south or west facing window isn't even enough light for a lot of these plants that need full light. Even a, and my, all of my plants right now are focused in my western or southern windows. They have a light. I have a light um, curtain in front of them. Um, and I water differently in the wintertime. But most of my plants, like for example... Let's say you have a begonia. Begonias are traditionally moderately low light plants. In the winter, they will suffer. They'll literally either shut down completely if they don't have enough light or they only have a couple leaves. So normally an eastern exposure is ideal for a begonia all year long except for winter when you want to push it into a western or southern so window. So this is you don't where have you're lights. telling people that, you know, begonias aren't safe. If you've had them in a container, bring them indoors. They're going to they're gonna show some signs of suffering when they're really not suffering. You can take they it back really outdoors. Aren't. Right. Um, okay. Well, I think people need to get comfortable with plants not being perfect. Yes. Everybody wants a perfect plant. Nature's not perfect. I'm not perfect. The people but growing these plant. plants aren't perfect, but people have to realize that plants are doing these things for certain reasons. They are conserving energy if they need to. They're releasing energy if they need to. They're conserving water. They're doing what they need to survive. Maybe you have a bug infestation and they're trying to protect themselves because they do do that. They protect themselves from bugs as best they can. So it's but not going to be unusual for it to shut down a few leaves here and there. No, and not all plants do. You know, your spider plants will be f perfect. Your Swedish ivies, your pilias, your peperomias, they're pretty resilient. But there's going to be some of your plants that will literally drop leaves, maybe only have one leaf. Just get comfortable with it. Don't get so upset and worried. And that's where people start making mistakes, especially if they're bringing their plants in a little late. And let me tell you one of the most important things about this. And, and Amanda is doing this just as I am. 
when the temperatures outside are about the same as the temperatures inside, that's when you really have to be bringing your plants and don't wait until a threat yes. of frost because your tropicals will drop all their leaves and then everybody will overcompensate to try to get them to be revived instead of just letting them do it on their own. It doesn't mean they're dead. Like my Ming Aurelia, which is slowly turning yellow as it goes. I just take them off as they're doing. I'm not watering any different. I am not fertilizing right now. I will in a couple months, but I'm not fertilizing right now. I'm letting the plants do what they need. I'm getting comfortable with the fact that it is turning yellow because it makes you nervous. I don't want to lose this mm-hmm. plant. I've had it forever, and it means a lot to me. So, um, you know, I'm just going to let it sh- shed, and that's okay. We lose hair daily. What's wrong with True. losing a few leaves? Well, right. yeah, but the hair you can take out of the drain and hope that one day they'll have something <laughs> cure for this yes. middle-aged man. Yes. Anyhow. So when we're talking about temperatures, like I said, everybody uh, waits till the threat of frost because that's when the news guys come on. Does it have to be on. a killing frost? <sighs> See, a frost is, oh, do we follow the moon again? No, so 38 degrees, 40 degrees, and then there's microclimates around your house where your plants are and all those things, and so... I'm I'm telling people, you know, 45 degrees for me is a, is it's almost too late. That's the night Because think about it, you're 45 degrees outside, you're bringing it into a house. What's your temperature in your house? It's not 45. Well, we're telling- That's where I say when the temperatures in the house are the same as the temperatures outside. Scott's got his at 80. Yeah, so <laughs> you're gonna keep men until June? Yeah. No. But that's why I'm saying forty degrees for most of your plants is just too much and then there's just this So you're you're really looking for a shockless transition exactly when the temperatures are the same in yes. and out. My windows are open now. I don't have my air on. Okay. So you know it's cool at night like it is outside, but it's warm by day. And, you know, I think 45 degrees is your cutoff. And I'm, like I said, I have some cactuses outside. I have some orchids outside. And I have a Norfolk Island pine tree outside. They can take some cool. But that's a mite magnet, too. Yeah, it it can be. But that's, I blast it with my water. I lay it down. And, yeah, but it's it's good. Everything is good. So is that a consistent 45? Yeah, you can't just one night. One night's, One night's not that okay. big of a deal but because we had 49 a few last week, two yeah. nights in a row. But my plants are up against a brick house, and so that irradi- radiates heat a little the bit. heat all night long. And um, um, it radiates heat a little bit, and then, you know, that's different. But don't wait till that frost because you just kind of mess things up when you come inside, and it makes a mess, and people end up throwing things away when they don't need to. Let them and adjust. Let them look ugly. What yeah. I've learned from this yeah. is therapeutic. Just let, let them drop leaves. Let it come back. Enjoy that process. Don't get over. Don't get yeah. overly concerned about that. That's just going to happen. You know, we all are different in the seasons as well. We feel different. We do things differently. So, so plants need to as well. It sounds to me like if you have a lot of varieties indoor plants that are outside you're going to be really busy for a, a weekend like a weekend yeah. for a weekend yes and don't and people oh i don't want to do this this is too much work this is, this also bothers me because it's for amanda it's very therapeutic and it's extremely yes. therapeutic i say to people just hunker down and do it trim your roots get fresh soil trim the plant up if it needs to be pl- trimmed up take off dead wood take off dead leaves and then 
the reward is well, in that's an what abouts, I was going to ask you. This is the reward in about a month's time when you're in your house and you see that new growth or you see that shininess coming on. Yes. It's all worth it. And that plant lives from year to year as opposed to you three months in after you brought your plant and you're still scratching your head going, what's going on? What did I do? And this is where I say people just, they overwater, they underwater, they overfertilize, they underfertilize because they don't really let things just... Just let it happen. We're at Ben Sells Greenhouse. Mary Michonne, not only proprietor, but she owns the place. She's been running this place for how long? 16 years. 16 years. <laughs> Are you even 16, Amanda? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Can I make one point, though, too? Because I want to just tell everybody what I still have outside. All right. My orchids. My cactus. Wait a minute. you got mm-hmm. orchids still outside. Yeah. Why I would have you- Phalaenopsis orchids outside. And I actually have one um, dendrobium outside. Orchids need a cool weather. Phalaenopsis or your moth orchid, the ones that you see that just add ice at all the box stores. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Those are winter blooming plants. They need a cold period. And so everybody keeps them in and, oh, taking them outside, oh, throwing them under a tree. Oh, they just thrive. And I, I still have. How did you come to that conclusion that you could do that? Most people are scared crazy even to miss them. To give- Reading, school, research. Well, yeah, you got your master's. That's <laughs> yes, right. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, but, you know, I just, like I said, I just really start thinking about a plant and where it lives. You know, where do these things grow naturally? And so everywhere, even Florida, if you've got a, uh, you know, if orchids are growing out of the trees in Florida, they also have winter. Just because it's Florida doesn't mean it's always 80 degrees. They have winter there. And so those plants, they tend to bloom in seasonally. Well, Not seen, every plant should be blooming I mean, all with Todd time. Crail, he's a naturalist. Um, he's basically doing, uh, what is it? It's, it's, it? He's collecting seeds for a number of plants, mm-hmm. for native plants. But he's spotted numerous indigenous and native orchids in the oh, prairies hi. out here. Isn't that amazing? And yes. I didn't know that we had that. I didn't know we did either. Now, Amanda, how many plants do you have? Do you count them? I could not count them if I tried. I have too many. You have way too many. Do you have furniture in your house? Is that more than 10, more than 20, more than 30? I'd say probably more than 50. Wow. I've been promoting, Scott's been promoting, and Scott's been noticing since he's been doing outdoor gardening that it is very therapeutic. He is no longer short-tempered. He calls me Mike instead of other names that are four letters. And he's out there doing it. And I've noticed the therapy that he's been receiving from these plants. Now you are, you said your anxiety, has this mellowed you out? Or? Very much so, yes. I'll be darned. How did you discover that? I just had to get my hands dirty, get in there and start messing it's with the plants. therapeutic horticulture. Thank you. That's where, <laughs> now Therapeutic see. horticulture. That's what, my, my master's is in horticultural therapy. So I will tell you what is happening while you're messing with your plants is all of your cortisol you're not producing cortisol because you're de-stressing. And cortisol is your stress hormone. And so it wreaks havoc on all of your body's organs. And it makes your mind go crazy. And so when you are messing with your plants, it works in the frontal cortex of your brain and it releases, it just takes away that cortisol and it just helps you. And isn't it just the most wonderful thing when you see a new leaf or a bloom oh, yes. or something? It removes your mind. It's called soft fascination. It takes your mind off of all of the things that are causing you some issues or problems in your life. And you focus on that and it gives your body that ability to kind of self-heal. So that's why I say when you're outside for the weekend trimming and pushing, reward yourself with a nice iced tea or a nice cocktail. Tell yourself you've done a good job and then just 
observe what's going to happen to your plants, and that should be your reward. Yes. More people should be doing this. Is this like Christmas morning every day? No. Yeah. Uh, no, no, I'm still waiting <laughs> no. for that. that for the plant people, it is. Yes. Emma <laughs> yes. got it, and Santa never came down through. Of course, we didn't have a chimney. So for first-time gardeners that are put plants out on their patio, yep. and they're bringing them back in, Give me a list of four good things to do to them okay. one more time. And my suggestion would be sounding like don't have too many varieties. If, if, you, if you have several of one variety, it's easier as a beginner to right. bring them in, to prep them, to bring in. And then next year, start building right. a bigger collection. Yep. Own that one class of plants, figure it Succeed all out. Succeed with it. Succeed with it and then move on. Because some of them, they're not all the same. Some of them, they're all very different. And that's kind of the beauty. And that's what is really nice and challenging, too. I'm not opposed to some of these newer, trendy plants, some of these ones that are super, super expensive. But sometimes they're actually doing the exact opposite that they should be doing for you. They're causing you too much stress. You've stressed over how much money you spent yes. on them. You stressed on the care. Am I doing it right? Is it going to turn out properly? So go with something that's a little easier, a little less expensive. You know, take that in. And then I'll start with those four points that you talked about. So yeah. what I usually do is I grab my plant and I take it out of the pot. I don't think people take their plants out of their pot often enough. And I, at a minimum, it should be twice a year. You need to look and see what's going on inside the pot. You can't see it when it's in there, if it's in clay or decorative, unless it's clear. And see if it's pot bound. Okay, if it's pot bound, then as you get into the drier months of winter, when we have no humidity, your watering is going to have to change for sure. Unless you've trimmed the roots and filled that pot with fresh soil that has a nice water holding capacity. If there is no soil to hold water, that plant is pot bound. You're going to water it. The water is going to run right through. And if it's a larger plant, you don't have time for that plant to take any water up to the uh, to the very tops of it. So you need soil to be that carrier. When you start out watering, you said, like even with a cactus, do you recommend atomizing with a mist or do you just pour water at the base? I don't mist my plants. I do have a couple plants on stone saucers and pour water oh, in there. Yeah, so I do to. add a little extra humidity around certain plants, but only two. Like I said, I'm not... I don't have a lot of the, I'm just busy and I don't have a lot of time to sit and primp and, and check humidities and stuff like that. Although I do, I think if people do that, it's very cool. It is. It's wonderful. It's a great way to learn. You tend to understand your plants more if you're doing stuff like well, that. Well, see, now you said the word right there, uh, understand. Do you mist or water at the base? Um, it depends. Some of them I do mist, but the majority of them I do water. And some of them I let wick, um, which where I put the water down, put the plant pot that has holes in the bottom where the roots in the soil can wick that water up to where the plant likes it. But you see this process that Amanda is doing. She's got a little bit of this here and a little bit of that there, and she's doing all this stuff. She's learning, though. But she's learning, but I see... I can just see her and just enjoying mm -hmm. everything. It's not exactly the same. She's doing different things here and different things there. It's challenging your mind. It makes you help you remember things better. I just think it's an overall body experience for the people. It's joyous. And the plant is enjoying it just as much. So it's just a symbiotic relationship yes. that you're having that is beneficial. I think Amanda is going to be the next employee hired at Benzel's Greenhouse. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking here. Yeah. <laughs> You've always wanted to do something, I mean, that you really enjoyed doing the rest of your life. Why not? 
Amanda, do you cut your roots? Of your I do. plants, you do. I never would have even thought of that. Mm-hmm. I th- I, I'm a little Everybody afraid. will up-pot and up-pot and up-pot, and I'm like, okay, what are you going to do, lose your couch? Right. You know, what are you going to do? So sometimes a plant, you love the way it looks. If you trim the roots, put fresh soil back in the pot, give it a little cut on the top, now you've got this beautifully manicured plant, and eventually what I'm saying is after a few times of you trimming the roots and the top, it's like a bonsai technique. It literally is telling that plant, slow down your growing, don't grow as rapidly, and it stays that And it kind of tends to slow down so you're not trimming it as frequently. All right. So you've got it out of the pot. You trim the roots if necessary or it looks great. Soil's nice. Put it back in the pot. Now you're going to move up the plant from the, the stem if it's a tree, if it's a trunk. Or you're going to start at the base of the pot where the soil is and you're going to move your way out and look at the underside of the leaves. Is this number two? This is number two. So you're going to go across your leaves. You're going to wash them if needed. I often carry um, a bunch of different paintbrushes of different sizes. You can find them at Michael's at their dollar section. You get a little... Watercolor or acrylic? Um, Watercolor's (laughs) better. Finger for you. And so there's all different shapes and sizes. And then I usually kind of tend to, and you will get to know your plants. You're going to know what plants are more prone to scale. You're going to know which plants are more prone to mealy or spider mites or white flies. You'll be able to look on the underside and see if there's any little little egg sacs and things like that. And you're going to want to wash them away with a little bit of pressure from a rag of some sort. And it, it can be saturated. It doesn't have to be. You can even use a dry rag for certain leaves, like ficus trees. You can use a dry rag on them. You don't no, need no, to that depends. So, uh, so there's a number of different ficus. One ficus, you look at it wrong, it's going to lose all its leaves. You scare the heck out of it. That's right. Now, so that would be one, too, that you would probably have wanted to bring in a few weeks before this. We're in mid-September. Yeah, a lot of people said, tend to think that they're killing it when the leaves, the basically... No, I call that great his, bug control, too. Is because, it really? Yeah, because if they drop all their leaves and the bugs are on their leaves and... Well, then what's to ensure that they're going to rebound? I mean... Time. Time. Yeah, usually it's just consistency and, you know, just being patient. I think a lot of people know about ficus trees. They are familiar. And if I sell a ficus tree to someone, I will really tell them at certain times of the year, oh, this is a good time you're buying it now. It won't have as much leaf drop. Or if you do have leaf drop, don't be concerned. Don't overreact. Number three. Number three would be. And, and Amanda m- mentioned this, and I'm not opposed to systemics, okay? I'm just not a really big chemical person. I want people to use them with caution and read the labels. So there's all sorts of products out there. Systemics, if you're going to place that into your pot, the reason why it's important if you're changing your soil out is because now you have loose soil. You can't just take a systemic and put a tablespoon on the top of the pot, water it in, and expect it to work. It needs to be worked into the the soil really it needs to get down down to the root system so that that root can take the chemical up into the plant well now i had assumed and that's my problem was take a couple tablespoons for every six inches diameter of the pot imatocloprid is the primary uh ingredient the active ingredient in most of these systemic insecticides used to be dilox i mean that 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 was oh my god you could smell that four blocks away Mm -hmm. But now, I mean, and you put it in there, wouldn't the percolation of getting the water down there just have it access? Not to if the it's root? pot bound. Oh, geez. So if it's pot bound, you know, you're, it's tough. You can't, it's hard to even get a screwdriver in that plant. So you need to loosen that soil up, especially the first few inches of that soil. You need to scratch the surface and you have to be careful because if there's a lot of root on there, that's also a signal that if it's all root that's exposed, maybe it needs a little bit of coverage. Just depends upon the plant. 
it's a hard one to to tell but i just say you know if you're up potting your plant you're trimming the roots you're putting some fresh soil in you can always add a little bit but follow the directions people overdo it and maybe wear gloves and be cautious of your animals in your house. That's why I don't use systemics. I have a few dogs that like to use their nose and they love the smell of fresh soil or cats that dig in it. You can't have chemicals sitting on the top of your pots and let your animals get it. What will it say safe? What you, uh, I heard Amanda say neem oil she used. I don't use, I don't like neem. You don't use, what what do you use? I don't use neem. A lot of people overuse it. They say, oh, there's a bug. They spray it with neem. Just because you have one bug doesn't mean you have an infestation. Sometimes Mm -hmm. bugs are just flying around and we're there's so much resistant right now it's really difficult for me in this greenhouse i have to create a cocktail now to get my bugs to to die because everybody is using and there's a lot of places that are selling chemicals that only used to be used by licensed applicators are being sold online now and people are Mm. oh my god they don't understand these are nerve blocks these have an effect on your body we're supposed to wear respirators gloves boots to spray this stuff and people are using these in their homes so neem is a good choice but the one thing i don't like about neem is it's extremely sticky and you can overdo it and clog your pores of your plants and so you know, be cautious about that and only use it when you have um, bugs that are really in a, a larger number. And then I say isolate that. Don't well, spray them all down. It's not a preventative. What about like um, um, pyrethrins, which is a derivative of one type of a mum plant. It right. is extremely toxic to insects. Uh, humans and animals or mammals, it's, it doesn't seem to show any effect on. Right. Amanda, have you ever used any of that, the pyrethrin? No, I yeah. don't use those. We used to tell people to leave them outside after they got done spraying them. I never told them to take them out of the pot. But, you know, you're spraying them and then bring them indoors after, let's say, about 24 hours of setting that overnight. That works, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's well, I'm good. 50% there. That's but what you know, my GPA was. You think was. about it. Some of this stuff is liquid. Some of this is powder. It gets under your nails. Wash your hands really good. Wear a mask if it's dust is blowing. I'm just really cautious. I've just seen so many people that I know that use these chemicals that have issues. They have cancer. They have, it's just, it's just part of the process. It's just, I'm really cautious about it. I'm very, I do counts of insects. I make sure that I isolate. I don't, I wash things. I actually wash things off here with soap and water. Like Amanda, you can be actually successful at this without having to use these insecticides, which is supposedly going to, you know, save you a step. Your larger leaf plants, your plants that are a little bit more, the leaves aren't as fragile. Yeah, you'll be quite successful. You know, for some of these plants, you definitely, Hindu rope hoya. You know, that twists and turns and it's got so many nooks and crannies. You get mealy or scale in there. It's going to be a tough one for you to get in and go. It's going to be, a, and I've done it. I have that Hindu rope hoya at my house. It's huge. I battled mealy for three years and I licked it. But it wasn't You're not going to let it go back outside, are you? No, it's not. It's, it's, yeah. it's in my, No, it's never gone back outside. Yeah. But that's, you know, these are things you learn and it's okay. And I still like houseplants in my house in the summer. Not everything has to go out. Number four. Number four, um, rinse your plants. If you're doing your soap and water and you're rubbing alcohol, let them sit for about a half hour, but do wash them off because I think people will overdo it with the rubbing alcohol. You want to be really careful with that one. I have actually done um, rubbing alcohol with a paintbrush dipped directly into the rubbing alcohol and tapped cottony uh, Mm. mealybug nests 
They're in, they're, they're, they collect. I they mean, they do. Yeah. I do that. And I, you know, and I'm not spraying pure rubbing alcohol on my plants. That's not going to work. That's going to burn for you sure. You made a comment about soil. You know, summertime outdoors is something. You can use the inexpensive. Well, what soils are you going to recommend? I mean, what is the makeup of a soil that you would recommend? Do you recommend? They had silica pellets in one of them, and I won't name the name brand, but it was a big name brand. But yes. if you're watching about the watering, no, that'll, don't do that'll that. have caused root rot. I don't even it? use that for outdoors. Can you imagine what it would have been like this summer with that silica, which is kind of like what I tell people is kind of like what you find in disposable diapers. Mm. And it just stores the water. Oh, it oh, stores thinking, the water. Well, it puffs up and it stores uh, the water. So, yeah, you got a fern that loves to be watered. You're going away on vacation. Yeah, that might be okay. But it doesn't dry out. No, it and doesn't. look at the torrential rains we've had. So now you've got all that rainwater in a pot with all that stuff. And the n- big name brand stuff, I don't usually, I recommend that for outdoors. Okay. Um, and, you know, anything that's in a, a box store that's outside, that's, a, that's fine to use outside. But when you're talking about inside, you want a, a professional mix. Usually, if you go to your greenhouse, you ask them what would they recommend, what were they using inside. If they say, the big name. I don't believe it because it's bad. Um, It's not bad. I shouldn't say that. That's not fair. Um, But what I look for in what we use is we use um, a pro mix. It's from Premier Horticulture. There's Fafard, there's Berger. Um, There is, uh, there's a indoor garden center in Toledo. They sell like, I think it's called Happy Frog. Those are actually pretty good. They're actually not bad. They are very good. Yeah, I, so I don't mind those at all. I think those are all great, but you got to know what you're doing. And I just sell what we grow with here, because I don't. I don't know. It's just it's just easier for me. I'm too small to have. Yes, like, succulents, Amanda. Yes, mm-hmm. you've got a lot of them around here. We use the same soil. I don't create soil for my area. You don't use the sandy stuff that they mm-hmm. recommend. Okay, cactus soil. It's on the top shelf. Four forty nine for a two pound bag. Mm-mm. You don't. It's, Some of that cactus soil, I believe, has too much bark in it. It's way too much bark. Bark is, where? Do, what cactuses in the desert grow in bark? Bark. Come on. There are no trees in, so. Yeah. So, so you know, I just, you got to just think to the next like to question live. that you might want to ask yourself. But, I mean, we just water accordingly. I like to use the same soils. And I'm not saying that, you know, cactuses probably could do well. But I just, it's my job to be here and to know what to water. What about in your house, violet soil? No, we use our soil too. The same. The be- now, mm-hmm. when but this one came in, and this is a little bit more. This, this, these just came in. We don't grow African violets here anymore. We used to, and we used our regular soil for that. But these we order in. I don't sell as many as we used to anymore, so we don't grow the them. The BX that you've been using is, I mean, they've got the HP, which stands for high porosity. They've got um, perlite mixed Say in. Say that with again. It. What does HP stand for? High porosity. Meaning open up the so that the roots can expand and et cetera, et cetera. But that's basically specialized growing. You use just straight BX? We just do BX and, um, yeah. Now there's mycorrhizae in there, too. Uh, we didn't, I didn't do it with mycorrhizae this year because what I have found out, because we store some of our stuff outside as yeah. it sits, it breaks oh, down. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, it's good. It's helpful. It's beneficial for your roots. But I think if you're caring for your plants, indoor plants, I think that's it's, Go with it's the okay. High end it's on. okay. Yeah. So what I look for, like for the reason why I chose this BK25, and the 25 really is more for the percentage of peat. You really don't want to go higher than 28% peat for your indoor house plants. Really? After that, there's too much water holding capacity. And some of your plants, like your snakes and things that need to go quite dry in between, they don't dry out quick enough. 
They hold the water for too long. So you don't want a lot of peat. And some of these bigger name brands, they yeah. have too much peat. Well, they've got, uh, they've got um, uh, let's say, what's uh, some of the bark vines, for instance. I mm-hmm. mean, that's mulched up yep. in there, which is going to turn into a compost eventually. Right. So the peat moss is there to design for what? Water Re- holding. The retention of water. Retention of water. All right. So we have bark, perlite, vermiculite, peat. That's what our soil is made up of. Amanda. Yes. You, you were using it therapeutically. You've got plants that you treat better than most people treat their children. I'm going to ask you this. You're familiar with the plant will aspirate, right? That means that's a no. big word. No. Okay. Well, what, what, I, I'll, let, I'll let Mary go and explain that. But what goes in, it basically rewards you as well with something else. Mm-hmm. Do you care to take that baton yeah, and run with it? Yeah, this is so interesting. So I had this lady on Instagram. She bought a philodendron monstera and took it home. I had just brought my monstera in from outside, um, brought it inside. And the next morning as I walked past this plant, it was dripping liquid from the tips of the leaves. So the outside humidity, it was really warm and humid when I brought mine in, and we had our air conditioner on inside, and it was dripping liquid. She um, sent me a message on Instagram and asked if this is normal, and yes, it is. It's very normal for a plant to do that because it's releasing the humidity. So I'm sure it had rained, and the plant took up a lot of water, and so... When, that's the beauty of having houseplants is they provide humidity, which is your aspiration. They provide humidity in the air around you, which is so important, especially winter as time. in the yeah. wintertime. It's so important. So your plants, what will happen if you have a decent amount of soil in your pot and you're watering it, the plant takes it up. The humidity in your air is at a certain level. And as your humidity drops... In the house, your plant wants to refill your home with a level amount of humidity. So it takes more moisture up in its roots, goes out through the leaves, and it aspirates. It gives you the humidity in the room. Takes out the CO2 Hmm. and gives you oxygen as well. Yeah. (laughs) Amanda. Yes. You know, you've got a gazillion plants. Um, I'm sure you have a a, a favorite, or you might have something that's not so favorite that you might have a little dilemma with. Do you have a question for Mary that might be able to assist you on any of this? I'm actually really glad you asked because I've been dying to ask this for a little while now since we've been sitting here. Um, What is your take on thrips, on how to get rid of thrips? Because I currently have a small problem with that. They're tough. You've got to know what kind of thrip you have. Because they're all, yeah, there's a couple different ones. There's Cuban thrip, which is on ficus, makes leaf curl. They're really tough because you really literally have to exfoliate and take that and throw them away. There's not a lot you can do about that because the leaves are curled. You have to literally open the leaves up if you see them. They're little, they're bigger than a traditional, a regular thrip is almost, it's almost, it looks like a little rice. um, Yeah, so, you know. Um, thrip is a tough one. It reminds me of spider mite. It's something that you're going to have to be very cautious about. And I'm, I worry a lot about thrip because they carry diseases as well. So they can bring in like bacterial diseases and things like that into okay. your plants. But do you know what you have thrip on? Because typically thrip focuses more on flowers. They like flowers more. They don't um, necessarily want to go to foliage like plants. Right now... What I got is um, I've got some of my philodendrons that are showing signs of thrip, and I've isolated them, but I'm not 100% sure how to get rid of it. Do you see the thrip? No. I'm wondering if that's what it is, because they usually like to 
go down. Usually you don't use, they don't just. They'll be in the soil, won't they? They could be in the soil, but they're not going to be on the leaves. And that's the problem. Um, We have recommended, and I doubt if this would work for thrip. They're buggers. They're buggers. I'm wondering if you're going to need a systemic or something like that for thrip. What about virus? Or I mean, that would come in from the soil. Now, is this the original soil that it's been in when you Yeah, viruses. Yeah, that's going to be something you might want to change the soil out because as Mike said, they can lay lay down in the soil. So you might want to change your soil out, but they do carry diseases. They do. And so that's... That's important. Every once okay. in a while, we're going to need to get, uh, I mean, I'm not an advocate for any type of uh, real insecticides, but when you right. know you have an infestation, yeah. you're going to have to go with like the systemic. You, to you go should, and, yeah. And that's and what I do here. isolated, yeah. but I don't know squat about indoor houseplants. I would probably recommend. I would say change your soil out. That's a very good point. Change your soil out. Um, you know, when people have gnat problems and things like that, a lot of times that just means their soil has been sitting wet for very, very long or they've used a soil that probably wasn't a, a better quality. Um, and we recommend a tablespoon, and this came from the Ohio State Extension offices, is a tablespoon of bleach and a gallon of water. But that only kills the larva. It doesn't kill the yeah. actual bug. And so thrip are really, there again, they are, if you look at them, if you see them live, um, the Cuban thrip especially is black and waxy. And so you're spraying it and it's just rolling away and they're looking at you like, you know, this isn't going to work. But you can see their larva. You can see their eggs when the leaf is opened and curled up. So they're reactive to a chemical spray. Um, thrip is actually, um, actually neem does work on thrip. Okay. So I wouldn't use it as a spray so it just sits and hangs. I would literally spray the neem onto a rag and wash all your leaves off with that. Okay. And the neem, the smell is there. Sometimes that might be a preventative for them too. But the key is don't do it just once. Do it three times and see what happens. Everybody does it once and you have to think about the life cycle of a bug. So the beauty of the winter time is the life cycle is lengthened. In the summer when we have 70, 80, 90 degrees, a lot of the life cycle of bugs goes from 21 days or 45 days down to seven. (laughs) Yes. So they're reproducing very quickly, which means you have to be treating weekly. Okay. So for thrip, I would be treating for three weeks, one week in a row for three weeks. I would wait three weeks and I'd probably do it again. Okay. Because give them some time for all those bugs to, all the little babies to start growing up as adults as well. Do you notice any discoloration on the foliage itself? I mean, like a powdery substance on it or? Not quite yet. No. But yet. But have you? No, not yet. So don't misconstrue like... You know, that's that's what I would thrip if you saw thrip, especially like let me show like, for example, African violet flowers or petunias. When you look at petunias and there's a thrip infestation, let's say it's a purple petunia, you'll have little blotching in that coloring. This discoloration usually starts in the center and it works its way out. They're literally sucking all of the color out of yeah, little puncture marks on a on a foliage plant. Um, and you might be you might be able to see this. A spider might especially. It's like polka dots. It's like it loses that dark green color. It's almost. It's very. I don't know. Foliage turns to an orangish color. Orangish too. color. Yeah. It loses the chlorophyll. You know, and that's going to be hard if it's a pink geranium or or a pink begonia. You know, it'd be harder to tell. But thrip will be similar in a look of that. You'll see your leaves will, and oftentimes with thrip, because of diseases, they tend to curl. 
Okay. So if you don't have that and you haven't seen a thrift, do you have a magnifying? Yes. You do? Have you seen them with the magnifying glass? No, I haven't. Then I wouldn't treat. That's the one thing I would say with people is a lot of people just treat out of the blue and they don't even know what they have. Know what bug you have. Know what works on certain things. Know what that... If you do a little research, there's certain bugs that react to certain pesticides and certain ones. That's why we have all different varieties of pesticides or insecticides. I'm sorry, not pesticides. Insecticides. We have different types because different bugs feed in different ways. Okay. And so you really got to know your bug. So if you can take a picture of it with your phone or, um, you know, that way you can always go to a garden center or a greenhouse and show them and then they can always help you too. Because that's important. Sure that they know what they're doing yeah. too, rather than just buying and selling. I've seen a couple videos of some um, sh- plant shops, not here in Toledo, but like Chicago, where they're just a storefront with house plants where they've created their own lovely sprays and they miss their plants and that keeps all the bugs away. That doesn't work. Some bugs are beneficial. I'm not <laughs> recommending that you go to get some beneficial wasps or ladybugs and let them loose in the house. Well, either. they wouldn't have enough to eat off of anyway. They'd be well, gone. They'd be gone. In the, but well. people do do that. Uh, any any other things that you might have a question on, Amanda? Yes. Actually, I do have one more. Um, with the root trimming, I do trim mine um, a little bit, but I don't do a lot of root trimming. How much root trimming is too much? Typically, you want to stop at one third. Okay. So when you pull that out of the plant, you usually want to take a third away. It depends upon the plant. Spider plants, I take half. Really? Oh, yeah. Because they're just, they're like weeds. They grow like weeds. So it depends upon the plant. If you've seen this plant, when you've cut the roots before, it goes crazy wild and grows in there, then I could you'd go up a little bit more. It can take it. Okay. You just don't want to get into the, you know, an inch away from the base of the plant. But if it's in a pretty deep plant pot, you can really take away a th- up to a third of that root system. But use nice, sharp scissors or a serrated knife. Don't just grab your root systems and rip them with your hand. Now, I've done that before at the bottom of a pot of a plant. I've done that. But traditionally for plants, I use a nice sharp scissors or a saw. Um, You can wash your, yeah, wash your scissors with alcohol before you do that. Because you do transmit diseases sometimes too. And especially if you're worried about a thrip infestation and they spread disease and you're playing around with it, maybe that's a place you work alone. How many do you keep outside, Amanda? Of my houseplants? Yeah. Um, all of my houseplants come in. The, I mean, yeah, but you have a, you have a patio or something that's out there. I'm not going to try to tell everybody <laughs> Amanda lives here. Yeah. No, yeah. no. But do you have a patio or something that you basically decorate with them outdoors? Or um, I do. Them- I do have a patio on outside that is where I usually keep them, especially like my hangers. I'll decorate around the edges of my patio. Um, but I also do have like a little small hobbyist mm-hmm. greenhouse in my backyard as well. Do you? Mm-hmm. This lady is going well beyond my expectations. Um, so uh, you, you, to, before I go into any top, to ask Scott any questions, if he has any others, you got an innumerable amount of plants that you're taking care of right now. Yes. Let me ask you, when you go back home after you're done working, what does your day consist of? I mean, let's say what does Saturday consist of? Do you constantly pay attention to them? Oh, Yes. Oh, yes. Every day I'm at least taking a look at them, making sure that they're watered, uh, make sure they all look good. Um, It's not a chore to you, is it? No, it's not. That's the thing. I mean, I'm watching her face as she's talking. (laughs) Yeah, I am too. This isn't a chore. She's enjoying this. And I think that that's what I think that people don't realize just it's just like weeding. I love to weed. It's just beautiful. Your efforts, too. 
Yeah, I mean, you do, because you'll get new blooms in different areas, or you'll move a plant to a different spot, and it'll blossom better there than it did in the last spot. So they do kind of talk to you about what they like and what they don't like in that way. What kind of music do they like? I play country music in my yard. Do you really? <laughs> I do. Now, let me ask you, old, you know, or recent, new? Um, mostly the older country. Um, some Waylon, of the new. Willie and the Boys, or you yes. know, Hank Sr. and Jr., or Lorette, Loretta? Randy Travis, Randy, oh, Cassie God, Klein, all good. of them. <laughs> okay, and they see, do my, like it. my tropicals like reggae and Buffett. Yeah, unfortunate. <laughs> Remember what Mary said? You got to put them in their place of where they come from. So that is true. Oh, that's you know, a that whole was heavy. new level, Scott. That was. That <laughs> I really love was. that. You know, some people might actually do that. That's really interesting. Yes. That's cool. <laughs> I like. I mean, that. I was I was maybe assuming some people would be put playing classical music, or you know, I got a grapefruit tree that's fifty years old. He digs the Beatles. But, you know, I don't cut his roots. I will not cut his it's, roots. It's, I used to do that. It's interesting, isn't it, how we kind of now have given our plants personalities. Well, they, they do. do. They really do. Thank I know you. it. I know it. It's, it's, you know, I know my husband always says, oh, there's all these weird plant people. And I'm like, well, that's me. I'm a weird plant person, but it just really makes you feel good. It really does. And I don't think that there's, I just don't think people experience that enough. Officially, I'm not weird, but I, my banana we call plants, you unique. My banana plants do have their names mm-hmm. and See? all that. That's and they do have their But when you do these things, this is the thing. If you give them names, if you play music, if you do talk to them, you care for them better. And my thing is, sometimes when people come in, they start asking me questions and then like, when was the last time you trimmed the roots? When was the last time you you fertilized? And then I get all this backlash. Like, but, but, well, but. she didn't give you backlash. No, not at all. But what I say to people is plants give to you what you give to them. Yes. So if you do nothing, well, you can have a ZZ or a snake and they'll just be there. But if you really want to see the flowers and the new leaves and, and you're propagating, a lot of people are propagating you, now. You they love them? that. I do. Yeah. So... <laughs> That's when I say give a little bit more to your plants. If you're struggling, just get a good garden book. Yes. I don't think that every bit of information has to come from the Internet. I think a good houseplant book is beautiful. Or even yeah. getting out and talking to people. If you talk to other plant people, you'll be surprised what you'll learn. Or, yeah. or, or maybe listen to a certain podcast. Listen yeah. to a good I mean, podcast, It's yes. going to be out this, well, I won't, I won't go that mm-hmm. route. Speaking, and make sure you share this podcast with others who might be well, needing this information, too. This is yeah. Mary Michon's place. And do you want to share your phone number and website? The, um, my phone number is 419-536-3992. And it's www.bensellgreenhouse.com. And um, I have your podcast on the side yes, of our I cash register, that. so well, why I is Scott's often name on it first. Well, <laughs> I didn't do, I didn't print it. Oh, okay. <laughs> so uh, along that news, as we wind this uh, episode up, I got a notification from a group called Feedspot.com that your Midwest Garden Podcast is the number two uh, gardening podcast in Ohio. Nice. So congratulations, That's Mike. Beautiful. We are in the top three Ohio gardening podcasts. Number one is actually a radio show. That oh they, no, no, you can't. So you can, we don't count that. I mean, yeah, no. so That's we're going to say we're number one podcast. We're the number one true podcast. <laughs> I'll be darned. In Ohio, gardening. Now, well, at closing, but I want to I want to make sure that see it doesn't mean that you have to go to the physician's office to get a shot for anything to to or have a prescription. Uh, yes, they save lives. But in Amanda's case, 
you said you had anxiety. As how has this resolved your anxiety or your anxiousness? Um, it, it helps a lot, especially when I get to get outside and get in my garden. Um, if I've had a really, really bad day, the second I'm out on my garden or in my patio or even in my rose garden, it's gone. Is it really? Mm-hmm. Now, see, I've been saying that forever, but, you know, yeah, Mike, you're weird. I, 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 I do talk to my plants, and I don't have that <laughs> many of them, but um, it's, 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 it's so important. I mean, I did this when my mother was sick. And I would take off for weeks at a time yeah, to care yeah. for her. Every time I came back here, a new plant went home. It calmed me down. Yep. Just touching it, just smelling it, putting your hands on it. So if anybody out there is feeling sad or lonely, get yourself a plant and care for take a plant. It take it, your Nurture mind off it. of what's happening and focus a little bit on the plant and let yourself heal a little bit. Yeah. It's, it's just a wonderful thing. On that, I think that's cool. Uh, so we'd like to thank Amanda and Mary for joining us, talking about winterizing your well, we're, house Well, we're Mary's Ben Sell Greenhouse, and Amanda is uh, somebody that knows a lot more than a lot of people. A lot more than we thought when she walked in. <laughs> oh, boy, I'm glad we restricted our conversation to only 45 minutes. So, But, but congratulations on helping on that. I'm sure an awful lot of people are going to find that. Now, you started with one plant, and you expanded to... 600 of them, right? Somewhere around there, yes. Okay. <laughs> and that's almost as large as Mary Michonne's greenhouse. I want to thank both of you for allowing you for us having to do me. this. Mary Michonne is the expert of experts, and it sounds like you're going to be one too within the next couple of years, Amanda. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everybody. We'll see you next show. Green side main... up, or what was the other? What was it? You screw it up every time, Mike. Green thumbs up. Yeah, that too. Thanks for listening to your Midwest Garden. If you like today's conversation, please share this podcast with friends and family. And don't forget to click on the subscribe button so you won't miss any future episodes. Plus, if you have any show topics you'd like us to discuss, head on over to our sponsor's Facebook page, which is Black Diamond Garden Center, and message them your topic idea. For all of us at your Midwest Garden Podcast, I'm Michael Rourke, the Garden Guy. Hope you enjoyed today's conversation.